Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Friend of Songs, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Can't be making reckless moves, cause there's so much at stake. When you got some shit to lose, your decisions gon' change. Cause every action got a consequence. Consider your ways. Hardest thing to do in life is elevate through your pain. I can relate to feeling like your life is stuck in the face. Giving effort, but results just keep remaining the same. Have some patience with yourself. Shit ain't as bad as you claim. I seen the homeless nigga smile while he was standing in rain. It's all about perspective. I'm chilling, catching blessings. And cryptocurrency been busting, and I'm well invested. She know that if she rock with me, then she gon' stay protected. Cause even when this shit get hectic, I ain't never stressing, I'm legend. I woke up feeling wealthy today. My bank account might not agree, but hey, that shit on the way. Me and my niggas laying brick on top of brick till we straight. If you the type that play the victim, you can't come in my space. You know this game ain't for the weak, it's hard to carry this weight. I keep my balance through the ups and downs, I'm never gonna break. You feel the purpose in my spirit when you look in my face. Cause it ain't a second, I can waste, I'm putting food on place. Mill. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Blackwell Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bella, one-fourth of the Blackwell Renaissance, checking in with my brothers, Jalen and Kelly. How y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Blackwell Renaissance Podcast. I'm feeling great, feeling blessed, y'all. How y'all doing, man? Yo, what's good, everybody? It's your boy, Kelly, here, checking in, checking in. Another one-fourth of the Blackwell Renaissance Podcast. Feeling good. Y'all, y'all good over there? Yeah, oh, we'll man, never man. ask you how you doing, yeah, David. Hey, you know, I, actually, I actually was listening to the podcast earlier this week. I was like, damn, we don't never ask this nigga how you feeling, man. Y'all don't fuck with me like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Nah, nah. See, I, I noticed it enough to say something and ask you, and this is how you repay me? You know you my dog, my brother. Yeah, nah, I was just joking, but no. Nah. I'm doing good, my brother. It's another great Saturday. Like we've been having some great podcasts today. I'm very excited about this show that we're about to have. Yeah. Like I'm interested to learn more about just the amazing things that this brother has going on. I see you over there sipping that water, man. Just want to give a quick shout out to our water sponsor for the BWR podcast, Aspiral Water. Black owned water, alkaline water, good for your body, good for your mind. Yeah. Go ahead, cop that. We got the link to that in the show notes. Use the promo code BWR10 at checkout. To get 10% 10%. off your order. Now, with that said, like I was saying, y'all, I'm very excited about today's episode. This brother here is phenomenal, to say the least. Like, I'm thoroughly impressed just in the short period of time we've been speaking. This man is a former accountant, professional basketball player, turned software developer and AI entrepreneur. Podcast host. Podcast host, host of the Build Tech Stack Equity Podcast and the Darius Gantt Show. Mr. Darius Gant. Darius, how you doing, my brother? Man, look, life, life is great. Today, I live in Medellin, Colombia. Wow. So, oh, wow. You know, look, I feel like I can't really complain when people ask me about that. Dang, how'd you find your way into Medellin, man? Yeah. Oh, man. You know, it was really 50% business, 50% just kicking it, right? One of my frat brothers actually... He lived here. Oh, he back to them damn friend brothers, man. <laughs> <laughs> they always got an idea, right? But I was working in um, private equity and venture capital. And when I left, right, he had already lived here. And he was like, man, while you start your business, you should just come out here. I got an extra room so you can just crash here. And you're going to spend a lot less money than you're spending in L.A. So I said, you know what? That's a good idea. And while I was thinking it over, he sent me a receipt of his Uber expenses, right? And I looked at him and there wasn't an expense above $3. Yeah. Wow. You know, if I go 10 minutes down the street, I'm paying $15 in LA, right? So, you know, at that point I was like, all right, look, this is going to help me extend my runway as an entrepreneur, right? Living in Medellin versus living in Los Angeles. Mm. Interesting, man. That is interesting. interesting. Yeah. So we, we, we can get into it. Get into all that. <laughs> First and foremost, I want to say thank you for coming on the show, Darius. We appreciate you taking the time out of your Saturday to come here and kick it with the bros. To start this thing off, we want to start it like we always do for all our guests that are unfamiliar with you. Can you give them an introduction to yourself and like just how you got to this current point in your life? Yeah, man. I would say, you know, being an athlete, being a basketball player was the foundation of a lot of it. I grew up in the west suburbs of Chicago in a city by the name of Aurora. The early days, you know, started out in a bad neighborhood, but my mom actually moved us out to small town where literally I had a cornfield in my backyard. So I went to sleep. I used to go to bed, right? Noise, shit going on every night. And that was just the norm. I go out to the cornfield and I hear crickets at night. I hear that was an entirely different Mm. change of lifestyle. And so that was an interesting experience for me. And just kind of escaping a bad neighborhood to go live somewhere where we still didn't have a lot of money growing up, but I didn't necessarily have to deal with the day-to-day struggles, right? Like I Mm -hmm. wasn't walking through violent areas, stuff like that. The public school I went to was well-funded, right? But it was interesting being like one of the only black kids in the school, Mm -hmm. right? So that experience, man, I had to go through a process of kind of discovering who I was, right? I'm experimenting, trying to do shit that they like to do, like 
do I like rock? Hell no, I don't like rock. Like, <laughs> but you know, you try it out. You know, it's like that's what everybody else in the school listening to. I remember P Diddy came out with a rock album. I'm like, maybe I can like jive with this. Nah, I can't really mess with this. <laughs> but yeah, man, just trying to experiment and figure out who I was. But the reason I mentioned that is because one of the things I was really good at was basketball. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot about some of the advantages that I had in that situation where there were a lot of, you know, as the city grew, more black kids began to come in, but they didn't necessarily benefit from the same things that I benefited from at that time. Right. Because I was good at playing basketball. I had certain people who would look out for me in certain situations where others didn't, where others, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have that next level of encouragement. Right. And so I'm definitely very mindful of, you know, some of the advantages that I've been able to benefit from, right? And so that's just the early days, man. But that springboarded me into going to college to play basketball. I ended up going into a really good private school, Illinois Wesleyan University. Man, let me tell you, like, I wouldn't have gotten if it weren't for basketball. Let's just say that. Like, <laughs> you know, the average ACT wasn't where mine was. Right. So <laughs> I don't know if they want a lot of people to know that, but I don't think it's a it happened. No, what they going to do? Nah, <laughs> we, we, we know I how to my, get down. They when can't it comes take to my degree. Right. But yeah, man. So that allowed me to get into an academic environment. And it's at that particular school, like, look, they expected you to make it to, you know, the NCAA tournament. That's a division three school, but they expect us to make it to the NCAA tournament. But they also expect you to go to class, take the test the same time as everybody else takes the test. So you don't really get, it's not really that handholding, right? Mm -hmm. So it actually put me in an environment where I would need it to be challenged academically. And so that kind of took me to another level because even in high school, people would be like, man, you seem kind of, like a lot of people didn't know I was intelligent, but I was kind of still one of those people. Like I like to read books. I was fascinated by, you know, certain things. And so college is that moment where I just decided, all right, I'm going to flip the switch, right? And I'm going to start showing off what I can do academically. Mm -hmm. Now, that was kind of... When something happens to your kitchen, you might say... This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. You know, the second half of college, the first half of college was a different story. because I Was it a turn up, a party? <laughs> oh, it was. Look, look, I'm not going to blame it on the frat, right? But I did become an alpha as a freshman, right? And so I knew it. I knew it. After I crossed... Yeah, man, I was like, I got to enjoy this a little bit. And then I had to wind it back. Like, all right, we got to get focused. Oh, six to the good bros, man. You already know man, what it is. I see you six. <laughs> but yeah, man, that's really interesting the way that, like you said, you accepted the challenge from being challenged academically. Because a lot of times, you know, you'll see an athlete, especially a college athlete. Yo, I'm focused on going to these workout sessions. I got 6 a.m.s. Depends. You might be having two a days, like depends on what your season is. Like you said, a school where they want you to make it to the tournament, like but still take the test at the same time. as everybody. Exactly. Right. Like that seems like that's very rigorous and very challenging. So how did you walk that fine line and, you know, stay straight with your schooling? Because obviously you also became an accountant through that. So mm -hmm. and that's no easy task. I was in business school and I know what it's like for a few of those accounting classes. I didn't take the upper level. <laughs> I know what it's like trying to understand some of that shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, man. You know, for me, I had a big shift. So at some point I had to switch my major to business because- What was it originally? Man, I changed so many times. I came in philosophy major and then they were like, you know, first class I took, it was a class called Symbolic Logic. They took like three or no, four books the size of an encyclopedia on my desk. And like, we're going to finish all these books before the class is done. And I said, oh, I'm changing. <laughs> first and last class, right? You know, then I did psychology. I did political science, but I just felt like, you know, that was too boring to me. Then I switched over to business. And then from business, I went into accounting. And literally the only way I found accounting is I was taking a class and I wasn't necessarily the most disciplined person in that class. The professor was like, look, it was an 8 a.m. class, right? And I'm living off campus. And so I got to ride my bike to class. Of course, I'm not making all the classes, right? I'm yes. I don't want to say of course, because some people would. <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> me, right? So, but I still got good grades in the class. And the professor was like, you still do well in the class, but you clearly aren't come. So there's something about this material that just resonates with you. Mm-hmm. And it was easier for me. So once I found out that through accounting, I can get a job before I graduate, I'm like, okay, let me do this, right? Because in my mind, look, I can still play basketball if I decide to go that route, but this at least gives me kind of a worst case scenario. I'll have a job before I graduate. So to get back to like how everything changed, right? I went to a conference in Philly. It's called for National Association of Black Accountants. Mm -hmm. And when I was at that conference, man, I saw like my peers of mine. They were getting jobs at the big four accounting firms. They were preparing for their CPAs. They were having success at the highest level in the same way that I saw the people at my school who were white, right, had success. And I probably would never have said it at the time, but I think in that time, I thought that those jobs at like big four accounting, like they weren't meant for people like me, mm-hmm. right? So I didn't really apply myself to it. But then when I saw my peers doing it, I'm like, I really don't have a choice because They're not any smarter than me. They just have a different approach to getting to this position. And so when I thought about that, I'm like, well, look, even in college, you are one of the small percentage of people who have made it this far in terms of basketball. So you have a process that got you to this point. Now, just take that process and apply it to school. Right. And from that point, I think that was after my sophomore year. I think at the time I had probably a 1.9 GPA, ended up graduating with like 3.2 or something. But I had to get straight A's. I got straight A's the rest of my college career. But the catalyst to that was basically I was getting knocked over the head by all the recruiters and by the folks in public accounting who were like, look, man, we need you to get your GPA up. Like, you're a hustler, but I need you to get your GPA up so we can justify giving you this job. Mm. I'm very glad that you shared that, too, because I think that just speaks to something larger, like the whole idea of exposure leads to expansion. Whenever you were in that environment that you grew up in, you said you kind of went to school with a lot of white people. And you went to this college where it was a lot of white people. You kind of had this self-limiting belief on yourself that, oh, that's for them. This is how they move. But then once you put yourself in an environment where you started seeing our people act that way and move in a certain way, you changed your methods and it expanded the vision that you had for yourself. And I think that's so important. And that's part of why we do this with Black Wolf Renaissance. It's like sharing stories like this is what can help impact somebody else because like too often we we write ourselves off before we really give ourselves a chance yeah no absolutely man i mean i think it's just human nature to do that right like even if you look at the nba the majority of nba players are black the white players are from europe right so united states is white so why aren't there more white people in the nba itself 
right? But like historically there were, but there's this thing about like, what do you apply yourself to, right? And so I think that there's a dynamic in that, but I also, yeah, it's also really important that when we can see ourselves in somebody else, it provides that extra motivation and accountability for us to go out and do whatever it takes to get whatever it is that we set out to achieve, right? Sir. So how did you make that flip, you know, get your GPA up and everything like that? And did you end up taking an internship or like, did you just lock in that job after you graduate? Yeah, yeah. So that conference, man, I went to that conference. Uh, as I think about it, like it was rough in the sense that I was not prepared. Like mm-hmm. I had got my, you know, the frat did well. Like I learned how to tie my tie because I became an alpha. Right. Mm-hmm. They were like, yeah, bro, we can't have you walking around like this. We got to get you in a tie, get you in a suit. That don't mean I know how to wear the suit. Right. What size I needed to be. So when I went to that conference, went to the command, had this huge beige suit on, right, to a business conference (laughs) where, you know, my tie was black and brown. Definitely not like the style that you're supposed to look. And as I look back on it, I'm like, bro, you look wild. But I think, man, I was blessed because it was some people there who understood. I actually ran into Frat, who was a recruiter for KPMG. And he pulled me aside. He's like, look, man, I'll talk to you for a second. And so he looked at it, he was like, look, all this stuff, look, because at that time I had done some things related to leadership before. Like I was already the captain of the basketball team, I believe mm-hmm. at that time. I was president of the fraternity, our chapter. There's something else going on. But he's like, I like these leadership things, man, but this GPA, we got to figure this out, right? So he was willing to be honest. And from that point on, it was like all those things coming together, somebody who was pointing me in the right direction, seeing people who, you know, were no more talented than I was accomplishing things that I should be accomplishing as well. I think once I got back home, I just made a decision like, hey, look, my GPA has to be higher in my priority of things to do. The other Mm -hmm. thing is I did get an internship. I interned at KPMG as well. That was the summer before my senior year. And so, yeah, the way that came about, you know, I really got lucky in that sense as well. There's a partner from KPMG who came to give a talk. My professor was like, Darius, you need to meet him. Y'all might remember this, man. I was wearing like a long sleeve school, a hard knock shirt, you know, uh, <laughs> with some sweats and some flip flops with socks on like athletes do. Right. Nappy hair, past the Troy goatee. This is how I'm talking to this guy who makes millions of dollars. Right. But it ended up being me reaching out to him over the course of two years. That being the reason why I got the internship and the job, because what he told me was like, hey, get your GPA up. So after every semester, I was like, look, I got another 4.0, you know, and I don't think he expected me to follow up like that, but Mm -hmm. I was consistent in showing my progress. And so interesting thing, it came time for them to give out full the internship offers. Right. And I remember getting a call from a recruiter and they're like, hey, listen, you know, we got a large class coming in that we're considering from University of Illinois. Right. The big school where they got a huge alumni base. Mm -hmm. I got my tiny school over here that's really smart, but we don't necessarily have the same connection to KPMG in the same way that U of I has. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they tell me that. So I'm thinking like, oh, man, they're not going to make me the offer. So I pick up the phone. I call him like, hey, man, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. It's sounding like they might go a different direction. So we had a quick five minute conversation. It might even have been an email. Man, let me tell you, 10 minutes later. Oh, yeah, you know, we reconsidered it and we want to make you the offer, you know, for the internship. And I was like, damn, this is crazy how this world works, man. Like, you know, and I hadn't reached out to him for him to say, hey, give him that job. I was just giving him an update like I had always been doing. But then you realize kind of how the world works, right? Like certain people can pull strings that other people can't, right? 
So that's how that came. I got the internship. Obviously, you know, look, worked my ass off in the internship. So they didn't have a choice but to make me the full-time offer afterwards. And so, yeah, that's how all that came to be, man. And I was at a school where I was lucky enough to where you could kind of study for the CPA exam during the semester. So that's what I did. A lot of people have to do it after they graduate, which means they're working and doing it. I did it while I was in school and after I graduated, but before working, which allowed me to like condense my schedule. So generally people are finishing the CPA exam in a year. I finished it in four months. Right. And then I moved to Spain for a little while. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, you, so you, moved, you got your CPA and you moved to Spain. Yeah, you, man. You moved, to, you moved to Spain and worked as a CPA. Or I want to know when did basketball come back into your life? Because yeah. you kind of touched on the fact that you yeah. started playing professional basketball. Okay. So I was exhausted. After four years of college basketball, I was exhausted, bro. I was like, look, I just need a break. Right. But I think a bigger thing was like this business opportunity seems like it's even larger than what I could be doing with basketball. Mm-hmm. So as a collegiate athlete in basketball, right, our season spans over both semesters. So while everyone else got to do these travel abroad things, I'm just sitting at the school like, man, you know, over Thanksgiving break, over Christmas break, you know, all the breaks, I'm at school, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I ain't never think about it like that. Yeah, you know, people go to spring break. They like, yo, we in Cancun. We can-. And I'm like, yo, I can't go. Like, yeah, training camp. <laughs> exactly. So, man, once I finished school, once I graduated, I'm like, look, I got to do like a travel abroad. I got to get out. Right. And so that's what I did, man. Another interesting story. So I graduated in December. I had my offer for KPMG probably like June to start. And so I was like, OK, I'm just going to travel to Spain during that time. So that's what I did. And while I was in... Spain. I was just loving it, man. And just understanding the culture, learning the language. But at the time, this is 2008. So this is everybody is getting laid off. Right. But I had to make a decision. Do I want to start working, leave Spain and go back to the KPMG to work? Or do I want to continue experiencing this? So I reached out to one of the people in HR and I'm like, hey, listen, can I push my start date back? And they're like, oh, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, I think it's a bad economy. You probably want to come and get started. So sent an email to my mentor. Hey, man, what do you think? Should I stay out here in Spain or should I come start work? He's like, no, man, stay out there in Spain. You know, you're going to differentiate yourself by learning another language and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, bet. All right. So I emailed HR like so-and-so said that I should stay here in Spain. (laughs) (laughs) So I extended my trip in Spain, man. That's not when I started playing basketball. I actually lived in Costa Rica when I decided to play basketball again. It's kind of later on in the story, man. But the basic idea came from, man, I was watching D Rose. He inspired me, but it was really more so like I had this idea of starting a business and growing that business through investment, right? Whether it be acquisitions or or whatever. So I was just going to use the money I made for basketball to be like a booster of all of that from a financial standpoint and from a reach standpoint, right? Because the story is just interesting. But the process for doing that was crazy, man. I trained with the guy, Tim Grover, who trained Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley, Scottie Pippen. And let me tell you, like, it's a whole nother level. Like, <laughs> I don't know it if you guys ever read his book. It's called Relentless. But like the stories of his training sessions are real. Like you pass out, throw up on the floor. He throw a towel on you. You'd be like, get up. And we're going to get right back to it. You know? Hey, damn. And I kind of like how you took that approach with basketball, though, because even on this podcast, you know, we said we want to expand the mind of just from being an entertainer slash athlete and more of a businessman. 
But you took that. You was like, okay, I got this guy given talent. I know how to play basketball. I can do this. And you use that to say, okay, this is how I'm going to get some money to invest so I can actually take myself to the next level. And I think that it is nothing wrong with playing basketball. Like everybody wants to be a professional athlete. I don't give a damn who he is. You can't tell me you at one point didn't want to fucking be a professional athlete. I don't care what sport it is. You could have been a professional runner, a baseball player, whatever. You wanted to do it at one point in time. So you took that God-given talent that you had, though, and you was like, okay, I'm going to go out, use this, and use this to really boost myself up. And I like how you thought about that. And I would challenge anybody who is an athlete, if you do make it to that level, always keep that exit strategy. I always have that plan to where you're going to use that money that you will have access to that a lot of people never get to experience. Like you get to, in theory, like really increase your net worth overnight if you drafted at a right spot. Like use that to an advantage to where you can start something that even if you blow your knee out or whatever you do, if something bad was to ever happen, or even just, you know, you have a great career, you can still have something to where you don't depend on the lead. Absolutely. Man, I wish more folks had that mindset because you are in a very unique position where people will talk to you just because of what you did, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's so interesting. And so if you got capital behind you to, you know, launch a new idea, I mean, that's even a whole, I mean, you don't even have to build a business. You could invest it. There's a million different things you can do. But the idea is taking the money you made and turning it into more money through another vehicle. And so you went from Spain back to your accounting job. Then how did you get to Puerto Rico? Costa Rica. Rica. Yeah, man. So so let me tell you, like when I was in college and I said I was going to be an accounting major, my marketing professor was like, are you sure you want to do that? You don't seem to have an accounting personality. I'm like, no, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to do this. Right. So for me, right, the theory of accounting was exciting. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I just like to know how numbers run a business. And that provided the backbone for like almost everything I've done in my career after that. Right. But in practice, accounting, especially auditing. Right. I'm going through verifying financials that this company says that they have is correct. Right. And so if you're working on multi-billion dollar companies, their cash balance and just verifying that cash balance is correct can be a month long. So you sitting there and back then we didn't have all, you know, we were doing it by hand. So I'm sitting here writing ticks. Okay, that's correct. That's correct. Look, man. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity. But like, I feel like I feel like like I'm a lion in a cage right now, bro. Like I really I need to explore the full extent of what I can do. Right. Mm -hmm. And being an athlete my entire life, sports allows for that level of creativity. Right. Competitiveness, too. Right. And in accounting, creativity is a bad word. So I'm like, all right, man, look, I got to figure out my next path. Finance is a more, you know, creativity is good in finance. So that's an option. But I also had a lot of people who I was close with who were entrepreneurs. Mm. And so the decision for me at that time was like, do I become a financial analyst or do I try this entrepreneur thing? And so I decided to make the leap and become an entrepreneur. My first business, this was back in 2010, maybe, yeah, 2010. So yeah, I first started out doing uh, motivational speaking, and then I built a back-end business about, you know, financial consulting for young professionals, right? And so that was cool, but like I learned a lesson about, you know, how businesses scale, right? You know, what I was doing is only 24 hours in a day. There's only Mm -hmm. a certain amount of speaking engagements you're ever going to be able to do. 
It's only a certain amount of consulting you're going to be able to do, mm-hmm. right? So how do you scale a business beyond yourself, right? And I was making some money, but I wasn't making enough money to be like, yeah, I'm good, right? So that's when, when I left KPMG, right? I had moved to Costa Rica because I'm like, look, I'm going to just go post up there. I know I like to travel. It'd be a good time to learn Spanish. And, you know, I could also save some of this money that I got saved up, right? And so... That was the reason to move to Costa Rica. But then as I'm building this business, I'm like, man, you know what could take this to the next level is I actually have some more capital. I got this itch just to prove that I can be a professional basketball player. But then if that mission can also give me the capital I need to be a better business person, right, why not do that? So there was kind of like that dual motive. So, oh, the other thing is while I was in Costa Rica, I just happened to randomly got asked to go hike this mountain. It's the tallest mountain in Costa Rica. Cerro Chiripo. And I made it because I was in good enough shape to get up and down, but like I was getting my ass kicked by people who was like 50, 60 years old. That's to tell you <laughs> the, type of, the type of shape. Now they had been training, but after I got down the next day, it just so happened that one of the doctors knew one of the local professional teams. And he's like, you got to go try out with that team. So the next day, after I finished hiking this mountain, I'm dead tired, but I go to the tryout, right? And I'm trying out with the team. You know, as I'm shooting up free throws, the coach comes up. He's like, hey, man, if we offer you a one-year contract, would you come play with us? I'm like, me being, you know, I couldn't be like, yes, I'm coming. Yeah, for sure. I'll be here, right? Matter of fact, the city that the team was in, I mean, it was full of beautiful women. There were all the reasons in the world to accept that contract <laughs> right there. I'm a 23, 24-year-old guy, single, like, but in my mind, I'm like, don't say yes right now. You know, let's consider this, right? So. When I left that tryout, I ended up going back to the spot I was living in Costa Rica. And I'm like, you know what? Should I really get this a, a try? You know, I haven't played in two, three years, right? I haven't worked out in two, three years. And I was like, yeah, if you do it though, like by that time I had learned about guys like Magic Johnson. He has his own investment company. You've got Jamal Mashburn who owns a bunch of car dealerships and has a huge franchise. So I'm hearing about these other athletes that have used their pro money mm-hmm. to build businesses, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go take this money that I make and I'm going to roll it into a business. And that was the idea behind going back to play sports. Now, that is a full-time job. I don't care what nobody say. That's a full-time job. So I did have to give that a little bit more focus in terms of my day-to-day. So it made mm-hmm. running a business difficult, right? I would love to say I was able to do all of them at once, but the basketball also gave me kind of access to other things that were helpful. But that's how that came about, man. It was kind of a little bit of you know, just a burning desire that I had left over for the game, um, but also kind of this other business motive. That's mm-hmm. dope. That's dope. Like Jalen mentioned that you used it to parlay into that to next phase it, of yeah. your life. Yeah. Like you used it as just a tool instead of using it as the end goal and finding your identity in that. So I did want to ask now, because now that we didn't got to this point in the story, I'm, I'm, extremely, I'm extremely interested. How did you parlay all this experience in accounting? Taking the funds from basketball and your entrepreneurial experiences like a motivational speaker and a, a consultant, how did you find your way into not just tech, artificial intelligence of all forms of technology? Bro, the thing about me is like if I find something I think is valuable enough, I'm going to do whatever I got to do to figure it out. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right. Look, I don't care how long I got to stay up. I don't care how many hours I got to put in. You know, I don't care how many people I got to, you know, not talk to. Like, mm-hmm. we going to get this thing done. Right. 
So I'll give you the quick story how I got to AI, but it's all a journey, man. Like I actually ruptured my Achilles. So that kind of ended my basketball career. I could have tried to go back and continue that journey, but like at 26, right? Like nobody's trying to talk to a 26 year old with a ruptured Achilles, unless your name is Kevin Durant, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's like, okay, well, how do I continue the journey that I had been going through for this entire time? All right. Well, I had learned about how to scale businesses in another way, buying businesses, right? Like you don't have to start a business from scratch. You can actually just buy one that exists and then buy other ones to build a larger business, mergers and acquisitions. And so what I had learned about is this guy named Robert Smith, right? Robert Smith is, you know, at that time wasn't really well known, but I knew he was a private equity guy, right? He's buying companies. And so he became somebody who I looked to as like, okay, black billionaire, thinking about that representation thing, right? Again, I don't think at the time he was a billionaire, but he was killing it, right? And so I was kind of watching his moves and seeing that he was in technology, but I still hadn't really. So that was kind of where I got clued into tech being important, in addition to my experience of being an entrepreneur. But I went into investment banking because I'm like, I need to understand how these mergers and acquisitions happen. And that was going to be the precursor for me getting into private equity. And so interesting story, after basketball, after rupturing my Achilles, I needed to hurry up and find a job so I could start making some money. And one of my boys, frat brother, hit me up, said, hey, man, have you ever thought about being an executive recruiter? I was like, no, nah, you know, I never thought about that. But, you know, I'll try Tell it out. about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's going to give me some money, right? So I went there. I actually still had the ruptured Achilles. I walked to the interview with the ruptured Achilles, right? But I'm like, look, I got to get this bread. So we got to figure this out real quick because I didn't have, everybody should have health insurance. I didn't have it at the time. Had to pay out of pocket for all the hospital bills. Healthcare is the number one reason people go bankrupt, right? Just to throw that out there. So everybody should get health insurance ASAP, right? So I went to go work at the executive recruiting firm. The executive recruiting firm recruited accounting folks and finance folks, right? I had a call with this lady named Melody Hobson out of Chicago, one of the most successful women in finance. I'm having a conversation with her. Mind you, I got this call because I was just like, I'm just going to cold call the 40 most influential people in Chicago. She was one of the people who answered the call, among some others. Fortune rewards the bold. That's all I <laughs> so the conversation went kind of interesting, right? Like she slapped me in the face, like right away <laughs> in the call, but in a helpful way, man, because she was like, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, you know, there's this industry, private equity I'm interested in. She's like, well, you're a recruiter right now. I'm like, yeah. She's like, I don't think you're in the right industry to be doing that then. Good point. All right. So let's figure out how to get into private equity. So because I was recruiting for accounting and finance, I started recruiting investment bankers, right? But in those conversations, I would be like, hey, tell me a little bit more about investment banking, man. And it just so happened that I connected with somebody who was an alumni of Illinois Wesleyan, who was then like, man, you know, we had had a number of conversations. He was like, hey, look, if you're interested in getting investment banking, you should come work here. So that's how I got that opportunity. Basically ended up leveraging that recruiting job to move into investment banking, where then I learned like, all of the deep financial modeling, how to analyze a business, how to look at whether a company should or should not, how much money they should raise, all of these different things, right? From there, man, uh, spent two years in investment banking, uh, applied for business school because business school was like everybody who was in private equity had gone to business school, right? And I had a non-traditional background. So I'm like, I need some more firepower behind my name and a network, right? Like I didn't have a network of people who just love to talk about business. I was still with the hoopers, right? And the people in the investment bank, like, They were cool, but they weren't my people. You know what I mean? So me going to business school gave me access to a network I didn't have. And so I was like, okay, well, what are the business schools that have the highest placement rate for people going to private equity? So I specifically applied to those five and those five only. So Harvard, Stanford, Columbia, Wharton. New Wharton. University of Chicago. (laughs) That's fine. So all top schools, 
got into Columbia. I love Columbia because it was in New York City and that's where all finance was done. So I'm like, look, people coming into Columbia, people are people coming into New York at some point in the year, no matter where they are in the country, I'm going to already be there. Plus the financial center of the United States is in New York City, right? So let me situate myself right there so that I can do all the networking I can. I didn't care about academics. I didn't care about none of that stuff. I'm like, I got to meet the right people so that I can get into this industry called private equity, right? Mm -hmm. And so prior to getting into Columbia, I started an internship. I worked at a private equity firm just to get my feet wet. And one of the partners kind of took me under his wing. He was like, man, like help us develop this theme behind what type of companies we should invest in. And turns out my theme had everything to do with tech. And so he's like, man, what's up with this? And so at that point, when I'm interning at that firm, I'm like, forget Columbia. I don't even need to go back to school. I would just stay here and work, right? At this private equity firm. But he was like, man, look, it sounds like you have a passion for technology, right? So going to Columbia is going to be one of your last, if not your last opportunity to significantly change the direction of your career. So what you need to do is go and shoot for the stars in terms of what you want to do. He was like, and if you don't have a job after that, you know, hit me up and we'll figure it out. So I'm like, okay, I guess that means I can't work here, huh? So so I went to school, man, and still like very focused on private equity and venture capital. But just over time, over that experience, man, just really started fine tuning where I wanted to be. And I started learning more about tech and came out of school and ended up working at a private equity venture capital firm. Now they manage well over $4 billion, but all they invested in was software companies. And so my day-to-day was looking at tech, looking at software companies. So how do I get into AI? Well, I'm talking to these CEOs and every single one of them is telling me like, yeah, we want to implement AI into our software or we have it. Most of them who said they had it didn't really have it. But I'm like, yo, this has got to be something real interesting about this AI stuff. So I'm going to go back to a conversation that I actually had while at Columbia. I was the chair of a conference at Columbia Business School for the Black Business Student Association. And at that conference, Robert Smith and I had a conversation, a fireside chat, right? The interesting thing is when I told everybody I was going to do this, like, nah, man, it's not possible, man. Like, that's a pipe dream, but, you know, good luck, right? I had this, you know, when I went to Columbia, I was like, yeah, one day I'm going to share the stage with a billionaire, right? And I said it was in my mind, the way I visualized it, it was actually Warren Buffett, right? Because Warren Buffett is a graduate of Columbia Business School. But it was crazy how it played out because now in this conference, I am sitting next to a billionaire having a conversation, Robert Mm -hmm. Smith, right? And so for me, like anytime somebody who has that much more experience or has that much more insight into the future, right? When they say something, I'm trying to figure out like, what are the tricks? It's kind of like, yo, look, if you hooping with Michael Jordan, hey, he got some tips and tricks that you need to, you know, figure out what he's doing so you can get a leg up on the game. And so in that conversation, man, he mentioned something about, hey, look, all of our portfolio companies, which are all software companies, all of our portfolio companies, we're implementing a strategy for artificial intelligence. He used the word cognitive solutions, right? But artificial intelligence is what he was talking about. And so he then goes on to say, what we need right now are the human resources who understand how to implement those things. Mm-hmm. I said, ooh, I don't know if everybody heard that, but let me put that one in my pocket. Bro. That's a little jump for me. Let me put that one in my pocket, right? Okay, so then I go to this private equity firm after school. Now, large firm, successful firm, but I'm having all of these conversations with these executives, these software executives. 
and they mm -hmm. keep talking about AI. And I'm like, man, what? Okay, so I need to figure out what my lane is here, right? What's going to be my lane in artificial intelligence? I'll give you another interesting story, and I'm long-winded here, but I think it's going to be helpful, man. It was a venture capitalist who I talked to. This is after I left working in private equity. But I was trying to figure out like what I was going to do. And I was talking to this venture capitalist. We were just discussing like, how do unicorn companies become unicorns? How do people build billion dollar companies? And it's like, you know, there are a few factors that have to work in your favor. One is luck, but you can get a lot of luck by sitting on top of a wave of growth, right? So if you think back to how Amazon, you know, at the time Amazon was founded, the internet was growing at a ridiculous rate. Mm -hmm. It was like, I forget the book that Jeff Bezos wrote what the actual number was, but some incredible rate, right? Yeah, I so, think it was like 3,000%. 3, 3,000%, yes. It, it's not correct. I was like, thinking the same it number. Was, it's right around 3,000 something though. Cause I read- I, He's a I, Bezos. Yeah, I like He's Bezos. a Bezos nerd. You're a Bezos guy? All right, all right. <laughs> so we're talking about that and it's like, okay, well, look, you can make a lot of mistakes if you are sitting on top of a wave of 3,000% growth, right? And the business is that there's some dynamics of- being an entrepreneur in a growing industry, right? When the market is contracting, you're competing with everybody. Everyone's trying to acquire each other's companies. Everyone's cutting their prices so that they can be more competitive in the market. But when you're in an expanding industry, when you're in a growing industry, your competition isn't with the, you know, whoever else has a similar business. Your competition is with people actually knowing that you exist or that this problem and solution exists. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you look at a lot of these businesses that do become unicorns. They're generally sitting on top of a wave of growth. So for Amazon, that was the Internet. I said, well, AI isn't growing at that rate right now, but it's about to. Right. So as somebody who's like, look, most of the wealth is made at the beginning. Right. The people who get in at the beginning and establish themselves. So I'm like, OK, AI is coming right? Mm -hmm. Let me situate myself at the beginning of this wave and we're going to ride this thing, right? And so that's kind of, um, you know, there was a very much a business reason for me to do it. But like the other thing, what makes me so passionate about it is like you have, um, there's this concept of fourth industrial revolution. There's actually a book about it. I don't know if you guys have read the book. I haven't read the book. But I haven't I read the book, but I've, yeah, I've heard the concept. Yeah, man. So it's like every... I don't know, so many generations. I was about to say a few decades. Is either like decades? Well, it's it, the time 20. of everything has slowed down. Like the, it's almost like because you the first industrial revolution was like the Bronze Age type stuff, and then we had like the actual industrial revolution With in the eighteen hundreds and all, and all that, that stuff. And then like it, the time period shortens every time. Yeah. So here's the idea, right? And I'm gonna skip straight to like what made me inspired. It's like this was a rare time for. Black folks, underrepresented folks to participate in economic growth, right? Because if you think about going from an agrarian society to uh, industrial society, like you need machines, you need equipment, you need capital to do mm -hmm. that, right? Like we still messing around trying to get out of slavery. You know what I'm saying? It, not to mention all the other problems that came, right? So we didn't really have that the opportunity. In the means. Exactly. So then when we move into from, you know, an industrial society to more of a computer driven society, you still needed capital because we were at that point had mainframes, right? We don't mm -hmm. even have access to that type of stuff. Most people in the world didn't have access. You know, Bill Gates was one of the lucky ones who did, right? And he got to experiment with the technology and figure it out before everybody else. So now we're in, in an age where AI is that next thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
it hasn't hit yet. So I'm like, look, I need to be the flag bearer. I need to be the one who's telling my people like, join the party, <laughs> you know what I mean? Join the party before it get full, right? And they close the door and your ass be, you know, begging to get in. And, <laughs> you know, the bouncer telling you, look fam, I could sneak you through the back, but you're gonna have to give me like $300. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get in before it get too hot. Darius, I do wanna ask, we're kind of familiar with AI, but for all our listeners who aren't familiar with artificial intelligence, can you just give them like an overview of what it is and the implementations of it? Yeah, man. So essentially, like at a very basic level, it's getting a machine or a computer to do things in the same way that a human would do. A very basic example, right? There was this use of artificial intelligence where you can use, you load software into a camera, right? You know, CCTV, and you can identify the distance between people. Like, let's say you wanted to say, hey, everyone needs to stand six feet apart because it's COVID, right? The AI can see that and measure the distance between people and tell you whether they are or they aren't, right? So that's one use of AI. A very common use of AI is something very simple, right? You're in Google, you are writing an email, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're finishing your sentence for you, right? And you're like, wow, how did the hell they know what I, what I was going to write? Well, Google has read so many different emails and pieces of text that they can predict what you were going to say. So basically, AI uses data, past experience, and you basically train a computer to be able to make predictions in the way that a human would, would make. Thank you for that. Yeah, appreciate you for breaking that down because yeah. a lot of times we hear AI and, you know, we talked about it all. Can't we immediately think iRobot, yeah. Terminator <laughs> type of stuff, you know, we're going to have machines. They're going to start they coming to take our job. <laughs> they're going to start formulating their own languages and everything like that. Which I have heard that there's been instances with yes. uh, with projects, well, uh, Facebook. <laughs> but like that's a lot of times where we kind of see stuff like that. But like you're just saying, AI is already here. A lot of mm-hmm. people don't even know. Like yeah. AI has been here, even on your phone. The predictive text is there too. So those uh, self driving type features on cars that's considered AI. Yeah, that's AI, man. They got to know when to stop, right? Like, yeah. the crazy thing is, like, AI, you reach a point where it has to make decisions, right? Like, all right, if I swerve right, I'm going to hit this mother and her baby. If I swerve left, I'm going to hit this old lady. Like, which way do I swerve, right? Those decisions are tough, right? Because it's tough for a human to make, right? Yeah. So how, does AI, how do you determine which way an AI-driven system goes, right? Mm-hmm. But it's there. It's there. Hey, that's interesting. I didn't even think about, it. like, the tough decisions and it's stuff amazing. like that. But I'll tell you an interesting one, though, right? Like, imagine if you are driving and there's a huge semi in front of you, you can only see the semi because it's blocking your line of sight. But because AI is using different data to make decisions, it can actually see the car in front of you slam on its brakes, right? And so the car that you are in will actually know to stop at a time when you didn't know to stop, right? Mm -hmm. So it prevents you from rear-ending the semi, when otherwise you wouldn't have been able to do it. So like, that's one of the positives that you mm-hmm. can get. There's a lot of negatives that we talk about in the media, but there's also a lot of positives. And one of the reasons AI is really exciting for it, you know, autonomous driving is because the idea, right, is that it's going to remove a lot of human error and prevent a lot of accidents. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And now I kind of want to get into how you're using AI yeah, with your company, Tesoro, yeah. and how are you using it to actually scale businesses? Can we get into that? Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. So the basic is this, right? There's a couple problems in AI industry, right? Like you need people who actually know how to build this stuff, 
And as you can imagine, there aren't that many, right? Most people, if I'm starting a company or if I'm a larger company, you know, are looking in the U.S. trying to find talent and it's like, this the toughest talent to find. Actually, a data scientist is the highest paying job out of college, right? And so, you know, the talent war is real. And so because of talent- is the If you're in college- <laughs> hey, I'm talking six figures, man. You come out of college making six figures. That's it. <laughs> but yeah, man, the talent war is real. And you got companies like Google who are paying like five times what anyone else would pay for this talent because they needed to build AI-driven solutions. So the challenge in the market right now is how do I find talent? When I do find it, how do I afford that talent, right? And so what we do is like, we leverage talent from Latin America to build solutions for companies in North America, right? And because there's a couple of advantages to that, right? You could go to India, you could go to Eastern Europe to do these things, but like, do I really want to be up at 2 a.m. in the morning? Mm. <laughs> no, and they don't either, right? At least not the good ones. And so because like I'm in Medellin, Colombia right now, we are on the same time zone right now at Chicago. And so it allows people to work real time with people in the same time zone. But the other benefit is that the cost of living here is lower. So what they're commanding in terms of compensation is lower than what you would have to pay in the States. Mm. It ain't free. You know, they're still really well paid for Latin America, but it allows people who generally wouldn't have access to building AI solutions. It allows them that access. Man, that's dope. That's that's hella dope. That's really yeah. dope. Even like what you said with like the time zone and everything like that. Never because, considered yeah. that with like virtual assistants and things. Yeah, I was yeah virtual assist like just any type of thing like remote work. Yeah, it's in the same longitudinal coordinates and everything. So it does make a whole lot sense, a whole lot more sense. And I think that's a very unique selling proposition for you because now you're like, hey. You can still speak to them at the same time. They could be uh, very present with you. You don't have to wait any delayed times to get to them. Like you can set up meetings that's the most convenient for everyone. For everyone. And they can work. So like in tech, right? Tech companies generally work on agile methodology. And one of the things that's very common to tech companies is called daily standup, right? And that's just, you know, they set aside a time where everyone can have a conversation and get on the same page. Well, now we can do that on the same time, right? Like I don't have to have some weird stand-up time. I can do, you know, so it just allows for a lot more collaboration, real-time collaboration. But like the thing that excites me most, man, is let's get back to this thing about like, look, as minorities, right? Like how do we get on the early wave of growth of things, man? And so it's like, I think a lot about there's this wave of tech founders and investment in underrepresented tech founders. So I'm like, look, the next wave, though, that nobody's, well, they are talking about a lot, but no one's telling you about how to do it is artificial intelligence. So most people, white, black, Indian, whatever, haven't figured out Latin America as that secret weapon. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling folks like, look, you could go try to compete and pay, you know, $300,000 to somebody in San Francisco to help you to build something out or... I can get somebody from Latin America who can do it for a fraction of that cost, but every bit is good. Mm. And so what that means to the entrepreneur, it means that that fraction that I spent 
on that data scientist, that machine learning engineer, that's one thing. But so let's say if I was going to spend $200,000 and I was able to get someone for a quarter of that, right? So 50 grand. Well, now I got another 150 grand to invest in sales and marketing. Mm. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right. And most companies don't fail because, well, they fail for two reasons. One is because they don't have enough cash, but the other reason is because they don't have enough customers. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have more time to experiment with your sales and marketing strategy because you're able to leverage a highly talented pool of talent to help you to build solutions that are going to be every bit as good as if you had built them with talent in the States. Those numbers I just threw out there. So don't call me talking about, yo, I need some money. I'm glad you spoke on that. And it reminds me of one of our previous guests, DeMarco Thomas. He's built, it's a similar concept. Like you're taking outsourcing, but you're putting it in a whole different industry that people are not even considering. Like you're just outsourcing that work and still getting it done at the same level outside the state. And I did have a question for you regarding that. Being that you're working with people in Latin America, do you only work with people who are bilingual where it starts to like the data scientists and people of that nature? Or so, is, do you have like systems in place to help with that? Yeah, generally bilingual, right? Everybody's going to be bilingual. The case where we wouldn't do it is if the hiring team, right? Or the enterprise who is our client, if they speak Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. They're not worried about that. If they do speak Spanish, right? I think this is a huge opportunity for um, Latino founders is, all right, well, I'm just going to hire people who don't, because then I got even a larger accent or a larger pool of talent to draw from, Mm -hmm. right? Because I don't have this mandate that you be bilingual. But for us, most folks ain't, you know, in the States just aren't speaking Spanish like that. So yeah, we require that folks be able to do both. And when it comes to building like AI solutions and things of that nature, are these people coding in like a specific coding language or like, how did you start learning about that part of it? Like building out the projects? Yeah, man. Generally, like these folks are using the languages are Python and R, right? And so definitely, you know, must learns, right? If you're going to be in AI, I myself don't code, right? I actually made a strategic decision that I was not going to start either, right? Because... <laughs> Number one, there's just people who've been doing that for 20 years and they can do it better than me. So it's better for me to partner with them. I know business, right? So let me figure out the business angle. But I just happen to be the business person that's very educated on artificial intelligence, right? So actually, I did take classes, right? So don't get me wrong. It's not that I have never touched code. I took a class called machine learning that's taught by like one of the industry, top names in the industry, Andrew Ang. It's a class through Stanford, but you can get it on Coursera, right? And it teaches you how to build AI solutions right? Very basic level. So now I understand what they are doing and I have Mm. enough conversations with the engineers to understand what they're doing, but I'm not doing it myself, right? Like I'm not handling any of the coding. The thing that I have that they don't have is an understanding of the business problem, right? Mm. And how to bring a solution, right? To the market that gets traction, right? Because the hardest thing, okay, I don't want to insult the engineers here, but bringing in the customers, like Mm. solve that problem. Because if you can bring in customers, there's somebody who is going to ask for that check that you got, right, to execute. And so my focus was, all right, let me understand AI in enough depth to where I can speak with intelligence with anyone, right? But I don't even know how to code this stuff, right? 
But what I really need to do is to understand how it applies to business, the problems that it'll solve, and who's going to write a check for it. So how do you match the engineers with the company? Is it a certain criteria or is it just filling them out? Yeah, it depends on where they are. And that part requires a lot of consulting because even a lot of the companies, they don't know what they want to build, but they don't necessarily know who needs to build it, right? So I got this idea behind the AI solution. A lot of companies will tell me, hey, we want somebody who has a PhD, has been in academia, you know, has all these credentials. But I'm like, there's a difference between the person who is very academically talented in this space and someone who can build a product that gets commercial traction. Right? Like those are two different people. They can be the same person, but not always. So we have to bridge that gap between what they need and what they're asking for or what they think they want. Right. And so that takes a little bit of consulting. Once we understand what they want to do, then we can generally match that talent. Now, there are a lot of people who already know what they want. Look, I got a job description. Here's what I need. Boom, 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 boom. And we want to add this person into our existing team. Well, in that case, it's just easy, right? Because then we can go out and find or identify that person in our network and say, all right, we got the person for you. So how are you getting minorities into this space? What if I'm a minority and I got an AI idea or something like that? How are we going to get more minorities into this space? Man, I think it's education, man. So I started the podcast, right? The Darius Gann Show. And that was, you know, more so to educate the world on what AI can do, because there's a huge gap in like the average person doesn't know what AI can do, right? Which is an opportunity for us. But like in the process of building out that podcast, man, like I was doing my best to get more founders on the podcast who were minorities. But bro, when I tell you it was tough, it was tough. Because, <laughs> you know, as folks who have podcasts, right, it's like there are people who you would love to interview, but it's like, they may not be accessible. They may not be a person who likes to be public, mm-hmm. right? And so to do that, like you got this pool of people who could potentially talk about a subject, and then you got a pool of people who are actually willing to talk about a subject and that you would actually want to have on the show, right? Because there's something mm-hmm. like, look, no, nah, bro. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it came through the podcast, man. It's like just educating folks on the podcast. But as I saw, like it was very tough to get folks just thinking about that. So I actually started a podcast, the Build Tech Stack Equity podcast, and that's focused on underrepresented tech founders. And so in that podcast, we talk about how to build tech companies, the strategies to do it, but also we kind of think through, all right, well, you know, does artificial intelligence apply and how? And so it's really more of an educational process, Mm -hmm. right? So for folks to get interested and then to start pushing them down that path, like just to spark that curiosity so that folks can, you know, because there's a lot of information out there, but the awareness is the key issue that, you know, I'm pushing for right now. But on the Tesoro AI side, right, got a lot of relationships with folks who are actively, you know, invested in ventures backed by minorities, right? And so through those relationships, able to help folks to scale out. Nope. Hey, I just want to touch on the concept of the Build Tech Stack Equity podcast, because I think that's something that we don't also consider whenever we talk about like building and career fields and things of that nature. A lot of these people who get involved in these tech projects, they get equity in these projects. Mm-hmm. And they get paid on the back end for helping develop one of those things. That's just one of the more powerful aspects of getting involved in tech, If you, in my opinion. Like, imagine that it could go two ways. You could go work <laughs> on a project for 10 years and, and end shit up with shit. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you could work on the next goddamn, I don't know, next 
crypto exchange that blows the fuck up and now you rich. Right. No, it's real. It's real. You know, there are actually development shops that, hey, look, we'll take equity in the company and some form of payment, add some form of payment. But we also, they probably need some cash too, I'm guessing, right? But I believe in running profitable businesses. So I was like, you guys can keep your equity and I'm just going to take the cash, right? But it was a strategic decision um, for me not to do that. One, because it's like, look, as I started my business, I'm like, look, we got to grow to a level that, you know, we're operating smoothly. So taking equity out the gate wasn't really an option for us. The other side is like a lot of founders like to keep as much equity as they can. So I never came out out of the gate saying, hey, look, if you give us some equity, we'll build this up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I want to ride. Like some companies are like, could you build this? And you're like, I don't know if I would want to ride this out with you. Like, because then you really have to rely on their ability to sell the product, right? Because a lot of people can have product that changes the world. But like, if nobody uses it, that's a different story, right? It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So there's what's next for Tesoro AI? Man, you know what? Right now, about this close from closing our first nine figure deal. So <laughs> give it a man, give it to him, man. Jesus. <laughs> Put a billy on the board. So look, you gonna see me in, I don't know, I'm gonna pick a country at some point, but I'm gonna take a <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take about four days break, right, to celebrate uh, and turn up. But yeah, man, we want to close this deal, major deal, man. And we're partnering with investors, not to invest in our companies, but to, to support their portfolio companies to build out. AI solutions, man. And, and that's really the push. So that is all. That is it. Hey, man. Hey, that, that's, that's a major that's it. Right there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hear it. So there's, I do want to pivot to the last section of the podcast. What's on your timeline or now new name? What's in your world? What's oh, going so you on? Just go, you just going to rename the segment episode? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> new name alert. Look, um, I think cool. I was telling y'all earlier, man, like my timeline is full of memes, full of funny, just stuff that keep me laughing, man, because, you know, even my experience in a bit, like when you work in stressful environments, man, sometimes you just need silly shit, right? Just to kind of lighten up the mood and, you know, so I'm a huge meme guy. The funny thing that I came across the whole Kwame Brown being an athlete, Kwame just going in on folks, man. I, <laughs> hey, man, I've been watching the Kwame Brown videos. They're pretty entertaining to me. Bruh, like, I don't care how folks feel one way or the other about what he's saying, but I do think it's interesting that you got folks who report on an industry and now you got somebody reporting on the reporters. Right. So and the reporters aren't used to that. Right. So it's this whole like, oh, man, like we got to watch. Now we got to watch what we say. Right. Because we got, you know, there's somebody policing the police. Right. So that's what's been the interesting thing for me and and folks to be like, yo, start walking back comments like, yeah, let me or yeah, let me not say that. Right. Because, you know, Tommy might come in. (laughs) That's Stephen A. Smith, Black Power Jacket. Rant shit is the funniest thing in the world to me. Like this man, bro, this man started applying pressure on him on the internet. Next thing you know, he and this bitch with like this Afro pride with a big black fist on. I'm pissed off and we need to fix this. Like, come on, bro. (laughs) Come on, bro. Get me your ass for talking bad about him. You're talking bad about black men. Now you're supposed to be the representation of an angry black man on ESPN, a fed up black. Come on, man. You'll be back tomorrow. 
I know those guys, like the, the commentators always say, like, it's not personal. But like, come on, man. Even if you get feedback at work, if somebody at your job tell you, you trash, we should have never hired you, you're going to feel away. Like, oh, yeah. you know, and these cats is on here just doing, it's one thing, like, if we just talking between each other, like, that's not affecting nothing. But on like, national TV saying this stuff. On, on the most broadcast, you know, you on ESPN, like, you are effectively influencing that GM not to hire somebody, you know, because of what you say, right? So it's like, when Cass be like, no, I hear you saying it's not personal, and for you it's not. But for me, this is my paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. And what Floyd just said the other day, you can't, my kids don't eat on legacy. They eat on <laughs> some, some quote yeah, he said. That that bread. Like, yeah, that's exactly what he said. You can't pass down legacy. Right. So I'm like, look, man, I'm sure it's a lot of NBA guys out there. Like they can't say what they want to say without getting a huge fine. Right. But they're like, man, I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It, getting on their ass, man. It's an interesting time. I like yeah. it. I like it because to me, what it did is it brought some shit to my attention, like the whole contract year thing and the reckless talk about white players versus black players. Like it usually them talk about a white player whenever shit goes left for them. It's a whole lot nicer than it is about a black guy who's in this contract year. And that's one of the criticisms is like, be mindful, stay woke. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, if, if you are a reporter, right, you know this dude is in his contract year. So you're going to go out there and you're going to talk all that shit knowing that what you're saying is going to affect his check. Come on, man. Like, hey, we got to think a little bit more. We got to think a little bit more about this. So, yeah, man, that's what's been interesting to me, man, seeing it from here. <laughs> hey, I <laughs> forget you're, you're in Columbia. So, it is yeah. so, Darius, I do have one last question before we wrap this thing up. For anybody that was looking to get started in the tech space, AI field, what is some advice that you could give them? Man, I would say AI, there's two paths you can go, right? You can go the technical route where you learn how to code, all of those things. You know, that's one route. You know, there's courses on Coursera. Uh, that you can start out with, one being by the name of machine learning is offered by Stanford. There's also a course that everybody should take called AI for Everyone. It's a group by the name of deeplearning.ai. And that'll just give you the basics, right? But the technical side, you can take that machine learning course, and then you'll find a path to go down and be more technical. The job market, entry-level data scientists is like everybody's excited about it. So it's heating up right now. Everybody meaning candidates, meaning people who want to do the data science and the machine learning work. So entry-level, it's getting more competitive, but like you get into that. I mean, you know, it used to be the private equity guys, the financiers that were making all the money. Not now. It's those guys, right? But in software engineering, that too, those folks are still making a lot of money. But then there's this other path, right? Where you can be the person who understands the technology and what it's doing, but you got to be the person who translates it into business, right? You got to be that liaison between the engineer and the rest of the world. And I think there's a lot of money to be made from that, particularly if you can run a business where part of that business is you benefiting from that knowledge, right? And so one starting place is the podcast, right? Like we have founders on the podcast who break down how they built their company, right? The challenges, and this is specific to AI. So the challenges behind building an AI solution, the steps that they took, right? And also how it translates into cash as a product, right? So that's one way to just get that business size so that it can be, you know, something that is commercially beneficial to you. But yeah, man, I would recommend that. And I'm trying to think if there's any other resources. Those are pretty good starts. 
Okay. Well, appreciate it. I'm going to get that AI for everyone, yeah. course. And, I got to go check real, that out. That, that deep learning. That's them people that be doing them deep fake videos. That be making the fake videos and people talking. <laughs> deep learning is something else, but deep fake is a part of deep learning, right? Okay. Like people use deep learning to make deep fakes. I learned about that the other day. Huh? That just blew my mind. Oh yeah, my god, man. You, that was you showed me that deep fake video. It's like this dude, he was talking and it had like his mouth moving, but it was showing like nine or ten other very influential like people. All it used was just a photo of him, like it was like Michael Jordan, uh, Kamala Harris, like, like, a lot. like, oh, yeah, crazy, shit. yeah, bro. It's even to the point where you could be like, yo, Jay Z just dropped a new track, Jay Z ain't dropped no new track, but it sounds like him. Right. So they could take his voice. There's actually a video no. on YouTube where they took Jay-Z's voice on a Shakespeare poem. And you like, yo, is, is this? Nah, you know what I mean? So the technology is that crazy to where you could create a whole Jay-Z album and he ain't saying he ain't rap none of it. That's insane. That's crazy. <laughs> hey man, we need to go do that with some Tupac lyrics. I'm gonna find his notebooks. <laughs> you have to drop a fake Tupac posthumous album. <laughs> Yo, hey, that ain't a bad idea. Look, I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying that sounds like you could have some positive stuff with this as well. It's a lot of positives that come out, but you know, anytime you got a tool, right? Mm. Some people gonna use it for good. Some, some people, people gonna use it for evil. With AI, I say like, look, there's tools that are transformational to our world. One example being gunpowder and the gun, right? That changed the world. You know, the folks who had the guns first ruled the world. Same thing with AI, right? You could use it for good or people can come out here and use it for bad as well. I think the important thing for folks like us, right, is to understand how the tool is used and for us to be able to use the tool as well. So that in the instances where it is used in a negative way that impacts our community, right? We could call it out before it happens, right? Mm -hmm. Or when we need to use the tool, because there's an issue with like facial recognition technology, which uses AI, right? And so you probably heard about this in the news where people getting arrested and they were, you know, the facial recognition technology misidentifies somebody because mm -hmm. they're not very good at recognizing like black Darker people. skin, yeah, darker skin. Right. Exactly. Or maybe even our faith, whatever it is. Right. But like this technology is being used and we're a part of it. Right. So we got to be knowledgeable about what's happening so that when it comes like we can be like, yo, nah, uh, -uh. Yeah, y'all got to change that shit. Stop using yeah. it. <laughs> but That's on the other the side of those of us to jail. Right. Exactly. On the other side, though, we can create products that are unique to us that nobody else would think to create. An example of that is there's this guy who built this product. I believe the company is called Robo Muir, Robo MUA, Makeup Advisor. So Robo Makeup Advisor. Hmm. And what they do is, you know, there's this whole thing about people not making makeup shades for, uh, for like the skin, you know, darker skin women. Exactly. So now this Robo Advisor can predict what shades of makeup that women with darker complexions should wear, right? Mm -hmm. He has a, this, the same founder built another company where you can, was it this guy? I know there's another app where you can kind of put a black man, you could basically figure out what kind of hairstyle you want and turn the phone to you and see how the hairstyle will look on you, right? Exactly. But it has black hairstyles that black folks might want to wear. So versus having that menu when you sit down in the barber seat, you got right? the mullet. 
I got my phone, like, yo, let me take a set. Like, what y'all think? You know what I'm saying? So it's like very unique ways of using artificial intelligence that other folks ain't going to think about, but it really, but if we build it, we'll build it in a way that's going to be valuable to us. Mm, that's hard. I like that. I really like that. And I encourage anybody who's thinking about getting into the tech slash AI space to definitely check out the courses yeah. and really just take that step towards being into this field. Yes, sir. So there's, we want to say thank you again, my brother, yeah, um, for coming on the podcast and dropping this useful information, helping people learn more about the AI space, just really sharing your interesting journey, because I feel like it's a lot of gems that was just dropped through your experiences that people can learn from. Um, so before we get out of here, can you let the people know where they can find you? If they want to work with Tesoro, how they can do that, where to subscribe to your podcast, all that good information, my brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my website, which hosts both podcasts, well, you can get to both podcasts through the website is www.dariusgant.com. That's D-A-R-I-U-S-G-A-N-T.com. And then I'm on social. I'm on Instagram. Just my name, Darius Gant. Build Tech Stack Equity has an Instagram page. Uh, you can find that there as well. And then if anybody is interested in Tesoro, specifically building AI solutions, the website is tesoroai.com. And my email address is Darius at tesoroai.com. That man, appreciate that, my brother. And before we get up out of here, we'll get into some house cleaning. Definitely want to say thank you to all of our listeners who come in week in, week out. Appreciate y'all, family. Thank y'all for always rocking with Black Earth Renaissance. As always, we appreciate any feedback that y'all leave us. Let us know what y'all think. Let us know what y'all feel. We definitely take everything into consideration. Also, I want to say y'all make sure y'all sign up. For Black Wealth Renaissance Academy, BWR Academy, the number, the number one. one personal finance school and online community in the world. If you're not a part of here, you lack it. I'm just telling y'all, we've been having some great schools, some great classes. classes. Our most recent one, we focused on retirement accounts, IRAs. We dove into seven different type of IRAs you can set up ways that you can actually use these IRAs. And we even yeah, talked about like class. mega backdoor IRAs. You know, don't even know, half of people don't even know about this shit. So y'all definitely need to get signed up, download a Discord account, create that, then go to bwracademy.com and sign up for it. Yes, sir. Come to BWR Academy with us. Come stack that money and watch your stuff grow, man. That's what we're doing here. Last but not least, check out our book, Manage Money Like the 1%. It's available in the show notes. If you want some Aspire Water, BWR10 in the show notes. And thank y'all for listening. Yeah. Leave that five star. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Hey there. 
Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.